0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au This morning we, as we're looking into Genesis chapter 26, this is really a, a transition chapter, a chapter that talks about the life of Isaac. See, for the most bit, Isaac doesn't, even though he's a patriarch, he doesn't get too much airtime. You see snippets of him here and there. But really, this is the only chapter, chapter 26, that is devoted to Isaac. And it's a chapter that deals with just the life of Isaac. It's really the whole life of Isaac just compressed into this one chapter. And what's interesting is when you, when you read this chapter and you think about the, the various things are particularly highlighted from Isaac's life. I don't know when I read this chapter before, if some of you thought, hey, this sounds so much like what we've seen in the life of Abraham. I mean, there's the promises that were given to Abraham. Then there's the, the sister lie. She's, you know, my wife is my sister, that same lie. And then there's uh, him being prosperous. And then there's the conflict that goes on. And then beyond that, then there's this, treaty between him and Abimelech and, uh, and all these wells quite similar in some sense when you think of the life of Abraham these are things that have happened in the life of Abraham as well and so what what really is happening here is the author that is Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he has picked out certain snippets Of Isaac's life to really make the comparison to Abraham's life to make us think of Abraham's life as an echo of Abraham's life to say this son of Abraham followed in the footsteps of his father that this this son of Abraham was a man who had similar failures like his father Abraham had similar trials and difficulties in the land like his father Abraham. And yet this son of Abraham was a man of faith just like his father Abraham. And so the author has specifically put in specific snippets of Isaac's life to make us think of Abraham and think, yes, this person, this son of Abraham, is following in the footsteps of his father. And then even beyond that, what you see is that with this son of Abraham who follows in the footsteps of his father, we see very clearly now that God's presence and God's blessing, just like it was with Abraham, is is ongoing in the life of Isaac that Isaac truly is the promised seed. And in a very special way, God's presence and his blessing is with him. And as we look at this passage, you know it has much to say again about God's character as we'll be reminded of. And it also has much to say about us as believers as well. Because this is a snapshot of a believer, of one who walks in faith, yet who faces trials, yet who falls in many ways, and we have much to learn from this chapter as well. I've titled this morning's sermon as God's presence and blessing in Isaac's life. And we're going to look at this chapter under two headings. God's presence and blessing during famine and deception, that's in verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to look at God's presence and blessing during conflict and peace in verses 12 through 33. So let's look first at God's presence and blessing during famine and deception. Verses 1 and 2. It says, now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. So right in the beginning, the text is making sure that we see some echo from Abraham's life. It's saying there was a famine like in the days of Abraham, though this is now during the time of Isaac. But we are to be thinking again of, remember Abraham, he had a famine. This is, this is not the same famine, but we are to make that connection. And yes, so now there's famine in the land. And yes, this is the land that God has promised his father Abraham, that he and his descendants would inherit this land. But what happens when there's a severe famine in the promised land? And there's no food. What is he to do? What is Isaac to do? You know, at this point, I would think that the promise that was given to Abraham would have seemed very distant for Isaac especially when he's faced with the reality, oh, there's so much of scarcity of food. There's there's famine in the land. So just like his father, Abraham, instead of trusting the Lord, Isaac starts making his way to Egypt, where there is plenty. And he's slowly making his way out of the promised land. Now, if you remember, Abraham did something similar as well, right? When there was famine in the land the first time in Genesis 12, he went to Egypt. And he was met with Pharaoh and all those things happened. And then in Genesis 20, again, where he, uh, again we'll see where he meets with Abimelech. So there's, there's a lot of parallels going on. So now we see Isaac is now moving down south. And he reaches Gerar, which is really the southern part of the promised land. And he's on his way to Egypt. And Gerar is the area that's occupied by the Philistines. And they have Abimelech as their king. Now remember, Abraham had met an Abimelech. But more than likely this is either the son or the grandson of that Abimelech because really Abimelech is not a name but it's more a title. Like you would say Pharaoh of Egypt, Abimelech would be Pharaoh king of the Philistines. So it was a title. And so now Isaac has reached Gerar on his way to Egypt And the Lord appears to Isaac in Gerar and says, don't go down to Egypt, but stay in the land that I shall tell you. And there's even there, there's an echo of when God appeared to Abraham and said, go to the land that I will tell you. Now, from a human standpoint, this is not a good idea. I mean, Isaac is a foreigner in this promised land. And that has its own difficulties. He doesn't own any property. And now on top of that, there is famine in the land. I mean, how is he going to provide for food for the rest of his household and even all the flocks and the herds that he has? You know, how are they all going to survive if he stays in the land? And the Lord says, here's why you need to remain in the land. And really the the reason God gives to Isaac comes in the form of promises that he's already given to Abraham. Look at verses 3 and 4. Sojourn in this land, meaning remain in this promised land as a foreigner and I will be with you and will bless you. So remain in this land, for to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And I will give, you, I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So now you know it's the same promises, it's the same covenant promises of land, seed or offspring and blessing, blessing universal blessing, blessing to the nations. And notice what God says here. God says these covenant promises are going to pass on to you, Isaac, because verse 5, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, statutes and my laws. Now, what is that about? I mean, we know as we've seen in Genesis, God's promises and blessings are ultimately never based on human work. It is always based ultimately on God's grace alone. And yet when God's grace works in the life of a person, they respond in obedient faith. And as they respond in obedient faith, they experience the blessing and the promises of God. And that's what we saw in the life of Abraham. God's grace was working in his life, and he responded in obedient faith, and he began to experience the promise and the blessings of God. So ultimately, it's all of all of God's grace. And it's God's grace working in the person. But from a human standpoint, there is the need to obey, to respond in obedient faith. And so the implication here to Isaac is also, will Isaac respond in obedient faith to God's promises like his father? And what we see is, Isaac actually does indeed obey in faith. Look at verse 6. So, Isaac settled in Gerar. Again, humanly speaking, this makes no sense for Isaac to live in a land where there is famine. I mean, he's got no legal rights. He's living as a foreigner. You know, there's threats everywhere. There's difficulties everywhere. And so for Isaac to stay in this land, this barren land, rather than go to the plenty of Egypt, is really an act of faith. It's an act of obedient faith. He's learning to walk by faith and not by sight. What he sees around is famine in the land. There's plenty in Egypt, and yet he stays in Gerar because he's learning to live by faith and not by sight. Isaac obeys and trusts God's word, And really at the foundation of what God has said is what we read before, where God says, I will be with you and will bless you. That God's presence will be with him to bless him so that God's plan of redemption will move forward. And because of God's promise to be with him and to bless him so that God's redemption plan would move forward, Isaac stays in the land of Gerar. You know, God's presence with his people is always such a comforting thought for people of all ages. I mean, we read from Psalm 139 this morning where the psalmist says, Uh, Essentially, no matter where I go, your presence is there to guide me and to sustain me. There is not a place on this planet where I will go, where I will be lost. For you will be with me and sustain me and guide me. Or the promise that we see elsewhere in Scripture where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I mean, what a comfort that is. Or Jesus telling his disciples, you know, before his ascension, where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And he says at the end of Matthew 28, 20, behold, I am with you always to the end of age. See, it's because of God's presence That we have confidence when we go to evangelize. Because we know that God is with us. And because God is with us, he is able to use even our feeble efforts and further his plan of redemption. Because if God wasn't with us, we wouldn't have any hope. We can't change someone's heart. We can't move forward God's plan. Men and women so lost in their sin, no effort from us would ever change that stony, cold, dead, spiritually dead heart. God has to work through us when we share the gospel with someone. And so the confidence that we have, even with our feeble efforts, when we go out and take the gospel to the lost, is that God is with us and he will do the work. And it's the same reason why missionaries go to very dangerous and unreached places. Not because they think they're mighty, because they know God is with them. And because God is with them, they know that God will accomplish his purposes. You know, sometimes these missionaries are there for a long time. They might see, you know, perhaps one or two conversions. Sometimes these missionaries in the most remote places, they even get martyred. But none of this has gone to waste. Because you and I know that so many times... Fundamentally, because God was with them, God's plan of redemption moves forward and sometimes villages and huge number of people come to know the Lord even after the death of that missionary. Why? Because God
1: was with them. You know, for any Christian endeavor,
0: it's the same comfort as well. It's only because God is with us can we have any hope that it will bear any fruit. You know whether the, whether it's parenting, thinking about our children and what's going to happen to our children. Whether it's being a Christian influence in the workplace or in the school or in the neighborhood or even in the church. You know, for the church to grow spiritually in spite of our failures, in spite of our difficulties, the only hope that we have that we will grow as a church spiritually is the promise that God is with us. Like the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. We can do everything under the sun, but if God is not with us, nothing will happen. And yet it is precisely because God is with his people, these spiritual endeavors will bear fruit. And so no matter what our circumstance, God's presence with his people gives us confidence that God will accomplish his purposes. So Isaac, he's a man of faith, we see that because he settles in Gerar, he responds in obedience like his father Abraham, but we also see that Isaac is also a fallen man just like his father Abraham. And that's what we see in verses 7 through 11. And really this section, verses 7 through 11, is an echo of what happened to Abraham. When he lied about his wife, Sarah, twice, once in Egypt in Genesis twelve ten to 20, and the other time in Gerar in Genesis 20. Look at verse 7. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah because she was attractive in appearance. So it's the same fears and the same lies as his father Abraham. Isaac fears that because he has a beautiful wife in Rebekah, the Philistines may kill him and take his wife. And so to save his own skin from the Philistines, just like his father, he lies and says about his wife, she's actually my sister. Now think about this. God has just appeared to him and from what we can tell, at least from what is recorded in scripture, this is the first time God is actually appearing to Isaac per se. And he's given him the covenant promises that I will bless you, the Abrahamic covenant blessings are going to come to you. God himself has said it. And God said, my presence will be with you and I will bless you. And we know that that's why he stayed in Gerar. So one minute he's responding in faithful obedience. And then it's almost like he quickly forgets God's promises and becomes fearful. And then now he's looking to protect his own skin. Aren't we like Isaac sometimes? You know, one minute we're trusting the Lord and the next minute, totally the opposite. I mean, like any given Sunday morning, we acknowledge truths about God's presence and God's promises and we are strengthened and then we go home and very quickly these truths we forget and we start worrying and being fearful. Sometimes even about the smallest of things. And even the temptation to compromise. We see that in ourselves too, right, sometimes? For fear of being mocked by the world. Or for fear of being treated unfairly. So then we mute our Christian witness in this world. Or let no one know that I'm a Christian. I won't stand as a Christian because, hey, if I do that, I'm going to feel the pressures from this world. So we completely mute the fact that we're Christians. And we just sort of conform to the world.
1: Here, Isaac
0: is responding like his fallen father. Abraham. You know, one note just for parents as well, I just want to say, just like we saw last week, our actions can significantly affect our children for better or for worse. Our actions as parents can significantly influence our children for better or for worse. See, because how we live and the example we set is so important because that example, that pattern, then becomes the pattern for the children to follow. So if we're living like the world, if we're living compromised life, that's the pattern we're setting. That's the pattern we're setting for our children. Isaac here has similar patterns, similar fears, similar lies, just like his father, Abraham. And he lives with this lie for a long time. But then King Abimelech, he he makes a surprising discovery. Look at verse 8. When he had been there a long time, meaning he's been living with this lie for a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Now this word for laughing, it's it's the word that is related to Isaac. Remember, Isaac means laughter. And it's got a whole range of meanings, From mocking all the way to like flirtation to even caressing and things like that. And everything in between. So, so the two of them laughing here, Isaac and Rebecca, it's not so much, you know, they're sharing a joke and they're just having a chuckle. It's more the idea that Rebecca, Isaac, and Rebecca, they, they're treating each other in a way that is appropriate only between a husband and a wife where someone will look at them and say, that behavior, that's not a brother and sister behavior. That's a husband and wife behavior. And so Abimelech sees this from his window. And he confronts Isaac and rebukes him for his deception, for lying to him. And again, this is very similar to The two episodes with Abraham as well, when he lied, where the pagan king comes and rebukes him. Look at verse 9 and 10. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech is is distraught. He's rebuking him saying, what is it you have done? Don't you realize maybe one uh, one of my people could have easily lain with your wife? And he says, and guilt could have been brought upon us. Now, it is possible that this Abimelech knew something of what God had done many years ago with Abraham. Or maybe even stories about what happened with Pharaoh, with with Sarah, Abraham's wife, when Abraham lied about his wife and the pagan king uh, took their wives, how God dealt with him. So there's a sense in which he fears some kind of punishment or discipline from the Lord. And he was like, if somebody did that, we would all be, you know, we would feel the disciplinary hand of the Lord. Divine retribution would be on us. And so the pagan king here rebukes Isaac, the man of faith. And I'm sure Isaac would have been ashamed. And even humbled before this pagan king. But the amazing thing is Abimelech like the other kings does not punish Isaac but actually secures a greater protection for Isaac and Rebekah. Look at verse 11. So Isaac warned all the people saying whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. You know when you think about abraham and his two episodes about lying about his wife being a sister there were supernatural means there you know with pharaoh pharaoh was inflicted with plagues and then you know he's like oh i I didn't realize he was your she was your wife and he returns sarah and with at gara with abimelech again with abraham he was inflicted with some sort of physical malady As well as the women, if you remember, they couldn't bear children anymore. And so certain supernatural means happen. But here what you see is none of that happens. But God is still working through providential means. He gets his attention not through some supernatural means. It just says that Abimelech just looked out the window and he saw this. And then Abimelech just, you know, he rebuked him and provided greater protection for them. But we know this is God working. God working through ordinary providence of the working of things. He's working behind the scenes and bringing about the protection of Isaac and Rebekah. Here's the thing. Isaac totally failed here. He didn't trust God. He didn't protect his wife. And he bore a bad testimony of who this God that he says he believes in to this pagan king. But here's the wonderful thing though. Even though Isaac has messed up so bad the Lord doesn't say oh these chosen vessels of mine whether it's Abraham his father or Isaac his son you know I gave them the promises they know what it is I've appeared to them and yet they don't trust me they're just simply overcome by fear I- I- I'm done with them I'm not going to be with them and I'm not going to accomplish my purposes through them No, that's not what the Lord says. In fact, he doesn't treat uh, any of them like that. Now, I'm reminded of the words of Psalm 103 verse 10, that God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. What we see here is that God will still accomplish his purposes through his people, despite their sins and their failures. Now let me ask you something. Have you ever been a bad testimony in front of others? Where you shame
1: the name of the Lord?
0: I can tell you I've, I've done it so many times in front of my children. You know, they see me angry with them and impatient with them. They've seen me argue with Cheryl. They've seen me act in ways a Christian should not. And then I need to repent and ask forgiveness from them. And I have to tell them, you know, daddy wasn't acting like a Christian there. That is not how a Christian should behave. And I have to keep reminding them, I'm a fallen man, but yet I pray, my children, that you would see more of Christ in me than my sins and my failures. That you would see the gracious God that is at work in my life and is changing me. And so then my
1: confidence, even in parenting my little children, is not in me.
0: But the fact that the Lord's presence is still with me, despite my failures and my sin, He has not abandoned me. that he will continue to do his work and accomplish his purposes even through this broken vessel. My hope, my children's hope, and the hope of others around me is not in anything else, certainly not in me, but in this gracious God. So here we see God's presence and blessing with Isaac during famine and during his deception. And this brings us to our next point, which is God's presence and blessing during conflict and peace in verses 12 through 33. Now verses 12 through 16... Now, even here is a lot like what happens after Abraham's deception. If you remember in Genesis 12, after Abraham lied to Pharaoh about his wife and he leaves from there, he leaves with a lot of riches. He's prospering. And then even in Gerar in Genesis 20, after Abraham deceived Abimelech about his wife, he leaves from there again, prosperous. And here again, similarly, there's an echo. After Isaac's deception too, he too will become prosperous. Look at verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. That's really something. A hundredfold. So he puts in the seed and the yield or the profit is a hundredfold. Not double, not triple, not 10 times, but it's a hundredfold. You put $1 in and you get $100 back. You put $100 in and it's times a hundred. I mean, in one sense, you would say, wow, that is great in itself. But imagine this is when there is famine all throughout, where the Philistines everywhere are, you know, trying to put their seeds in and trying to bring up crops, but there's so much of a famine, they're not getting anything. And here Isaac is prospering, he puts in the seeds and it
1: comes out hundredfold.
0: But why is Isaac prospering like this, unlike the Philistines? Well, the next few verses tells us. Last part of verse 12 and following. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich, and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. Not just wealthy, very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are mightier than we. See, God blessed Isaac so much that the Philistines now became envious of him. And they vandalized some of his things, so much so that they fill up with mud and earth, all the wells of Abraham. And in fact, even the king himself says, go away from us because now you're becoming great. You're becoming mightier than us. So again, what you see here is Isaac is blessed materially despite his sin just like his father, Abraham. And if you're thinking, why? I mean, Isaac failed. He, he bore a bad witness to the Lord. Then why does God bless him? Well, to show him, and by implication to us as well, being the readers, that God's blessing is for the undeserving. to display God's grace, that God's grace is always given to the undeserving. It is never, ever merited. Now sometimes, you know, people hear things like that, you know, God gives grace even when we sin. And they will take that as a license to sin. Now, that's not what this means at all. God's grace is never a license to sin. Yes, Isaac sinned, but God is gracious. But it is not so that Isaac can continue to live in sin because, oh, God is such a gracious God, so I'll just continue to live on the way I want. No, the point is that God's grace and blessing, why he does that is for God to be seen as faithful to his people. He's faithful to his people not because of who those people are, but in spite of them. It has everything to do with God and his grace, it has nothing to do with the people. So when God shows grace and blessing to us, it is not so that we can continue to live in sin. But it is so that it would cause us to love the Lord and and trust Him and follow Him. God, you have been so gracious to me when I didn't deserve this. But that should cause us then to love Him and to say, Thank you, Lord. I want to follow you. Now, another thing I want to point out is this. Yes, Isaac was blessed materially. But this doesn't mean that, therefore, us as New Testament believers will be blessed materially. You know, I can almost think of some health, wealth, prosperity guy looking at this and saying, here it is. God is going to bless you materially, even in economic recession. You know, when there's famine, you will have plenty. Here's the text for it. Well, that's not what this is teaching at all. Sure, God can and he may choose to bless some people materially. But for us as New Testament believers, we know that believers can still live in famine. Believers can still live in poverty. In fact, even our Lord Jesus and his disciples, they lived in such poverty material blessings are not guaranteed in this life for us as believers but what is guaranteed to us as new testament believers in this life is spiritual blessing really when you think about it despite all the spiritual darkness or if you want to use the language of this text, despite all the spiritual famine all around us, Paul says in Ephesians 1.3 that as believers, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing, spiritually speaking Christian, I mean, do you realize you are the most blessed person on this planet? Yeah, more than anybody else, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, spiritually speaking, you are the most blessed person on this earth. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And again, we shouldn't think, oh, this blessing is not because we deserve it, but because God has shown his grace in and through Jesus Christ.
1: So Isaac is
0: prospering now, and it's because God has blessed him and is showing his grace to him. Now in the next section, in verses 17 onwards, there's conflict that's going to start taking place. And this is again similar to when Abraham, after he accumulated all that wealth in Egypt, and he comes back to the land, remember the first thing that happens? There's conflict between him and his nephew Lot. So there's some echoes there from that as well. So we've already seen some of the conflict. Now the conflict continues, verse 17 and 18. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. You could say Isaac is now literally walking in his father's footsteps because he's going and digging the same wells that his father had once dug up. And what you see here is with the death of Abraham, the the Philistines have conveniently forgotten their treaty with Abraham. And they've filled up his wells, and they don't think Abraham's son should now get these wells. And here's the thing about wells, and why it's so important. See, wells in those times, and especially in those arid climates, wells were the only provision of water. See, they didn't have little taps like we have, you know, in their houses where you can just get water, you just kind of twist the faucet and right there you have water in your house. And and the land of Canaan, it didn't rain all the time. So water was very precious. So it was really important to have wells in order to have water. Or in other words, without wells, wells were an absolute necessity for life. Because no well, no water, no water, no life. Verse 19 and 20. When Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there was a spring, well, well of spring water, the herdsmen of Garaf quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. So Isaac's servants in the valley, they've, they're digging up a well, and they find fresh water. Another Philistines come, and there's now a conflict. So Isaac names this well Essek, which really means contention. And because of the contention and the conflict, he moves from there quietly, along with his servants, and they move on to to another place to dig another well. Verse 21. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that also. And so he called its name Sitna. So this time Isaac names the second well Sitna and it really means hostility or, or enmity. And then look at verses 20, uh, verse 22. And he moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth saying, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. See, what's interesting is that as you observe Isaac here, he doesn't fight back when the Philistines come and quarrel and they have this conflict. He's not fighting back, uh, you know, going after the Philistines. Nor do we see him giving up and saying, okay, well, this is too difficult for me. I'm just going to leave this land and I'm going to go down to Egypt because of all this conflict. No, instead what you see is Isaac actually perseveres on in the land despite these difficulties. And he keeps moving on even though there's conflict he quietly moves on and finally when there's no conflict with the third well he names it Rehoboth and that just means broad space or a a room and really he declares his faith that the Lord has done this because he says now the Lord has made room for us has made space for us and we shall be fruitful in the land So what you're seeing here is Isaac is growing in his faith. He's recognizing God's presence with him. He's not fighting back when the the Philistines are coming and attacking him and taking all these wells. And he's growing in his faith and recognizing God's presence with him. Here's one thing that I want to point out here. That even though God's presence was with Isaac, Isaac still faced hostility and difficulties. That's such an important point to remember. Yes, God has promised his presence with us, but that doesn't mean we won't have trials and difficulties and hostilities. But you say, but but if God is with him, why all these difficulties? Well, one reason we could say is, well, God is teaching him to live by faith and not by sight. He's causing him to depend on him and to really depend on him and lean on the Lord and walk by faith. And secondly, another reason why there's all this conflict, well, we shouldn't be surprised that Isaac is encountering all this opposition from the world. Because remember, right in the garden after Adam and Eve fell, God said there would be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so that's what's going on here. The people of God versus the people of Satan or the unbelievers. And it's the same reason that we as Christians face persecution from the world. Because it's all part of the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So we shouldn't be surprised for, you know, when we are mocked or treated unfairly by the world, when we are following the Lord, we should actually expect it. This is part of the conflict that God has already said.
1: But you know, there is,
0: in facing this hostility and this conflict from the world, there is one who has truly set an example, and that's our Lord Jesus himself. His response to the hostility of the world is a pattern for us to follow as Christians. Listen to the words of 1 Peter chapter 2, 20-23. It says, for what credit is it, when you sin and are beaten for it, that you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We're not to return evil for evil when the world treats us unjustly. we to simply entrust ourselves to the Lord. And that's exactly what we see Isaac doing here. He didn't return evil for evil. Oh, you treated me unjustly. You know, I rightly deserve this. No, he just kept moving on from one well to another well and kept entrusting himself to the Lord. Now, the last, verses 23 to 25. It says, from there he went up to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there, Isaac's servants dug a well. You know, previously God had said to him, I will be with you, future tense. Now God appears to him and says, I am with you, present tense, right now. Here's what one commentator said on this quote when god's children truly believe that god is with them there is a deepening of both faith a deepening of both faith and obedience takes place let me just read that again when god's children truly believe that god is with them a deepening of both faith and obedience takes place isaac is growing in his faith. He understands God's presence with him. And then he responds in worship, builds an altar to the Lord and calls on the name of the Lord, just like his father, Abraham. Now this last section, it's again quite similar to the treaty that Abraham made with Abimelech in Genesis 21, 22 to 34. Look at verse 26 and 27 and 28. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuza, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. I love that. Now it's the world looking at Isaac's life and saying, the Lord is with you. God's presence is with you. And again, this is very similar to what Abimelech, you know, the previous Abimelech said to Abraham in Genesis 21, 22, that God is with you in all that you do. Moving on. This is um, the um. Abimelech and his advisor and commander of his army speaking. So he said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. Now, you know that that's not true. They have harmed and they have caused conflict and all of that. But regardless, they finally say, you are now the blessed of the Lord. And how does Abraham respond? Verse 30. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank, and in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. See, because the Lord was with Isaac, And because Isaac didn't retaliate, even when he was wronged, even when he was opposed, he was able to maintain his testimony. And now those people are looking at Isaac and saying, God is with you. And now there is peace. There's even a sense in which Isaac's presence is now slowly becoming a blessing to those around him. Verse 32 and 33. The same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. And he called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Again, we know from Genesis 21, Abraham had dug a well and he made this treaty with Abimelech. And after that treaty, he named that place Beersheba. And so what Isaac is doing now, his servants, is digging up that same well and calling the name of the place that same name, Beersheba. And what all this is showing is God's presence and blessing is with Isaac, just like it was with Abraham.
1: What do we learn from this
0: last section? Well, one thing that we see is that it's the watching world, the unbelieving world that looked at Isaac's life and they couldn't deny the fact that God was with him. Not just in the prosperity that he had, but also in the life that he lived. Brothers and sisters, I want to stress this point. That our witness in this world is so important. Our witness in this world is so important. That it's not just enough that we go around talking about this is who Jesus is and this is what he has done. What a great Savior and Lord! No, we need to complement that with the life that we live. Saying that, yeah, that Jesus is continuing to transform my life. And that witness is just as much important because it complements the message that we speak. So much so that when we start living this way, the unbelieving world will look at us, at least some of them, say, there is something compelling about you. There is something different about your character in the way you live. And I can't put my finger on it. And then that becomes occasion to talk about our Lord Jesus. To say, that's my God. Our witness in this world is important because it complements the message that we say, that we believe in about what the Lord Jesus has done.
1: I want to ask you this question if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus.
0: Let me tell you, you are living in spiritual famine. And what that's going to lead to is death and ruin. As you live in your sin and as you
1: live for yourself, it will ultimately lead to your ruin.
0: But let me also tell you this 2,000 years ago God sent his son the Lord Jesus Christ and he was
1: born from the line of Abraham he was the promised Messiah from the line of Abraham and he lived in this sin-cursed world And he was challenged and mocked and beaten. Bore the affliction
0: of the seed of the serpent. Of the unbelieving world. Yet he didn't revile. He didn't attack back.
1: But he died on the cross. For sinners like you and me who put him on that cross.
0: And he took our place on that cross and he bore the wrath of God on himself that was due us. And he died paying the price for our sins. And then he rose on the third day providing a way by which those of us who are living in spiritual darkness and famine can be brought to spiritual life. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you living waters. Come to me and you will never thirst again. Come to me and I will give you life. That's the promise of the gospel for sinners that are living in this spiritual famine. That he is a gracious God and he has sent his son who has paid the price and provided a way by which you don't have to die in this spiritual famine. Would you turn to him this day? Don't keep living this way. Denying God and living in your sin. But turn to the Lord Jesus. And if you say today, yes, I believe in the Lord Jesus and I believe in what he has done. Then I would say, turn from your sin and continue following Jesus. Because that is the evidence that you have truly put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. For those of us who are believers, the one thing that stands out from this chapter is, yes, Isaac walked in the ways of his father, Abraham. And he received the promises of God. And all throughout, despite his failures, despite his sin, despite his trials, God was with Isaac from beginning to the end and it is the same for us as believers that he is with us and that's the promise that we have and that's the confidence that we have that God will still continue to fulfill his promises and he will sustain us and he will guide us and he will even use us to bring about his purposes and therefore our response should be I trust you Lord I love you Lord and I want to live hard
1: after you. Let's pray to Father, we thank you for for the gift of yourself.
0: That we who are wretched creatures, who lived in our sin, who could never come into your presence. You sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, and you made us right with you and now we have the blessing of your presence with us for all of eternity we have the blessing of your presence even now and we thank you for that it is our hope each and every day as we live in this sin-cursed world as we fight the battles of the seeds of the serpent of the seed of the serpent And we know that our confidence ultimately lies in the fact that you are with us and you're leading us and you're guiding us. Help us to be faithful to you and help us to continue to reflect Jesus and be busy about telling others about Jesus with the time that you have given here. For you deserve all the glory and the honor. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen.